Well, it's so good to see you. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. We got a big week coming up Thursday night. We're at 6.30 right here. We're having the Lord's Supper in a baptism service. There's nothing better than seeing folks who've come to Christ baptized and their new life in Jesus. So come on and we'll watch them all and celebrate their baptism. And then Lord's Supper right afterwards, body of Christ will gather together, celebrate communion and worship the Lord on Easter week. Then Easter Sunday, that's going to be an exciting time. And we're going to have, these places are going to be packed. You look around you, there are not a ton of seats left. They're going to be full. That's why we're adding another service, 1215. Listen, if you like don't have kids, you don't have family, we have to do a big fancy meal, come to the 1215 service. Afterwards, we'll go to Brian's house, we'll swim, we'll have some hot dogs. Is that okay with you? Is that what we're going to, you going to grill hot dogs? No, we'll grill our own. We'll bring our own hot dogs. Anyways, we can go swim and they'll have a great time. So y'all come and do that. Uh, when you read scripture, you look in uh, the Gospels, the book of Acts, and you see that Jesus left these 11 guys in charge. And he brought in Paul and his brother James, 12, 13 guys. He left them in charge of the church when he ascended. We call these guys the apostles. But when these apostles died, there still had to be some more leadership, some guys who were going you know, to fill their shoes, do the things they were doing. We call these guys the apostolic church fathers. It's just a fancy term for the guys that followed these guys. I mean, and churches had their local pastors, and these guys were pastors, but they were, they were also guys who helped, you know, in their writings, in their life, give guidance to the church. And three of the main ones was a guy named Clement of Rome, a guy named Ignatius, who studied under John, and a guy named Polycarp, who studied under John. And all three of these guys... All three of these early church fathers followed the apostles, not only in serving Christ, but in giving their life. Uh, Clement of Rome, most likely at the end of the first century, either under Domitian or Trajan, was tied to an anchor. The anchor was thrown into the sea and he drowned. Ignatius went under Trajan in 117 into the Roman Colosseum, fought the animals, he lost. Polycarp, 155-156, was burned alive at the stake. Now, these guys didn't just die. I mean, they died horrible deaths. What would bring them to that point? What would move them that these guys would give their life in following Jesus? Well, we're in a series this month called The Call. And we saw last week that we were called to go. And we come today to a passage that gets overlooked sometimes. And when it's looked at, maybe it's not understood in depth the way it should be. It is a pivotal passage. A passage about what it means to follow Christ. It is the call to follow. And it talks about this cost, this price we have to pay in following Jesus. Mark 8, verse 34 through 38. This is what it says. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples. And he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So here's the thing that I want you to see in this message. It's real simple. We are called to follow Christ, nothing more, nothing less. We are called to follow Jesus Christ. There's nothing more to it, there's nothing less than that, but we do need to take a look and see what it means. And so I'm going to share some things with you today. And the first thing that I want you to see is the way it was, is, and always will be. There is something consistent in the condition of a fallen human race. There's something consistent with us that we see through all generations. 
when Christ came into the world, and, and if you look at the Bible, and you see there's the Jews, and we think of the Jews as the people that worship Jesus, but Jesus has con- con- conflicts with them. What we really don't understand is there were but a few people, I mean, just a small handful of people who actually lived by faith as Jews. I mean, if you look at the faith of Abraham, Moses, David, and those guys, very few people lived with that kind of faith. There were even a few Gentiles, like the Magi or the wise men at Christmas, but very few people did that. Most Jews, what they believed is that their salvation, or what they called entrance into the kingdom of God, that's how they looked at it, was based purely on the fact that they were born Jewish. Because they were born a Jew, they were part of the kingdom. Now, their place in the kingdom depended on their self-righteousness, all the works that they did. So the works that they did as Jews would kind of determine where they would be. So their salvation was based on who they were, and God was obligated because they were Jewish to save them, and because of all the good works that they did. And this is why Jesus has this conflict with them. Outside of the Jewish world... I mean, people were just pagan. They worshipped gods all over the place. There were many different gods that they would worship. There was Greek gods. There were Roman gods. When Paul went to Athens, they even had an idol set up to an unknown god. I mean, they had gods everywhere. And then they also worshipped their ancestors. They would pray to their, to their ancestors, their moms and their dads and grandparents. And by the way, we see that today also in America. I mean, you know, I've known people who say, you know, I just every day, I'm, I know my mom's looking up and I just ask her as she looks down on me to just help me through the day. You know, I ask my dad to help me do stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, you realize that wherever your family is, because of, you know, the way things are, they're not looking down to help you. They're not looking up to help you either, just to be clear about that. They're not, family, you don't pray to your family, they don't do anything. <laughs> And we just, they just made up these gods, and they made up this way of doing things. And it was the gods of their imagination created by them to meet their selfish needs. And here's the thing. It's not much different today. I mean, Christ came into the world, and Christ left the world, but humans were still pretty much the same. And, and even today, when you come to America, and I know in America, we're, we're kind of supposed to be this, you know, have this Christian influence, and we do to some degree, but here, here's one of the things that I've noticed about people in America today. And I'm talking about people in the church, people who call themselves Christians. Not, I'm not talking about atheists and all that. Here's how, they tend to, here's how they tend to do things. They believe in God, and they believe that somehow God was involved in creating things, so they have the problem of evolution in their mind, and so they try to have creation and evolution mix, even though they're diametrically opposed to one another. They have a, an affiliation to a church or a denomination, so they call themselves something. And uh, they believe some things about Jesus that are important. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll celebrate Christmas because, you know, birth of Jesus, that's a fun time. They'll celebrate Easter because they have to. In fact, they'll come to Easter because, you know, it's kind of an obligation of a Christian that one time you come every year, you better come to Easter. And if things get rough, they may go to church. They'll pray some. They'll read the Bible some. And they'll give Jesus a part of their life. It's like, it's like taking a big old block of cheese and they slice a slice of cheese off and they say, Jesus, that is yours. All the rest belongs to me. And that's how they view their life in Christ. The Barna Group, which is founded by George Barna, is a Christian research organization. Um, and they did a study just a few years ago. And there's five things that kind of came out of the study. One of them is that in America, 92% of all people in America believe that Jesus was the real historical person. Well, okay. I mean, that sounds impressive, but it's really not. I mean, I know atheists who know that Jesus was the real person. That's not the issue. And that Jesus was the real historical person. 56% of all people in America believe that Jesus was also God. Only 56%. Here's the thing. Of people who were like millennials and under that age, less than half believe that Jesus was actually God. 
If you look at the number of people that think that Jesus sinned, you know, Jesus committed some act of sin, over 50%, about 52% of all Americans think that Jesus sinned at some point in his life. Six out of ten Americans will tell you that at some point in their life, they've made some sort of commitment to Christ. You know, maybe not the way you and I would think about it, but, you know, they, they've made some experience, some encounter, something that identifies them with having followed Jesus. But the interesting thing is all of that, most people are still confused about the difference between good works and what it means to follow Christ. In other words, most people still think that ultimately, if Jesus saves them, it's something they have to do for him to save them. They're going to have to earn it. In other words, <laughs> their mindset is pretty much the same as it was in the back in the day of Jesus. They can, they can surround themselves with the idea of Christianity, maybe, but basically they believe that whatever salvation is, it's up to them. It is up to where they live their life. And they create the idea. In fact, when I first came here, shortly after I arrived, I pre- preached a message, and I've talked about this before. They create what we call the designer Jesus. They take bits and parts of Scripture about Jesus, and they, and they take the parts they like, and they have a designer, a freshly designed Jesus that meets their needs, whatever their needs are. There are three trends that you kind of can look and see in the church today that more and more, and you see these in churches all over. I mean, listen, you can go to churches in our community, and you can go there. And while many of the people may, you know, they're, they're, they may be in the right place, striving for the right things, I can guarantee that many aren't. And many of the people who are preaching, they'll be preaching. They will have these concepts of Jesus that's not, just not biblical. For instance, a lot of people in Christianity today want to relegate Jesus and say, Jesus is just a historical figure, that's it. They just want to take the idea of deity and cast it away. They'll talk about Easter. They'll talk about the resurrection. They'll say, well, you know, it was a symbolic resurrection. It gives hope to people. I mean, they just take away the whole idea of deity. Jesus was just like Moses. He's just like Muhammad. He may be better than them, but at the end of the day, he's just a guy. And then they'll want to do this. They'll want to change the high morality that God has upon us because we're created in his image. And they want to change the high morality we have to make it fit into the culture. In other words, they look at our culture and say, all these things the Bible say, how we're supposed to live, that doesn't fit our culture. And so in order for Christianity to be relevant, we need to change it to fit our culture. And people do that. Instead of saying to the culture, hey, we love you, we care about you, but you need to conform to Christ, not me, not the church. You need to conform to what Christ says. The culture, we say to the culture, we love you and we care about you and we'll take Jesus and we'll rearrange him and design him so you'll be happy with him. Because after all, we want the culture to come to church. That's our goal. When Jesus didn't care if the culture came to church, Jesus wants people to come to Jesus. That's what really matters. But worst of all, in the world we live in, in the Christianity, in people today in our community who will be preaching the gospel of Jesus, there will be people who will preach and people who will sit in the chairs and in the auditorium who will believe that Jesus is not the only way to God, that there's lots of different ways to God. And they'll deny that Jesus is the only way. And they just make things up. But it's not new. We ought not to be surprised, because here's the thing. It is the natural tendency of humans to create religious beliefs that fit their selfish and material desires. It's what we've always done. We're selfish. We're materialistic. There are things that we want. And we take the gods of our imagination. And we'll come to Scripture and we'll take Jesus. And we'll make him fit what we want. Which brings us to Jesus. And what he has to say. And we see the cost to follow Jesus. 
Mark 8 coincides with Matthew 16. Matthew 16 has greater detail. And Jesus takes his 12 apostles. And he's about six months away from the cross. He's in, he's in the home stretch. You, know, he's in, you might say, metaphor, it's the last act of the play. It's uh, the fourth quarter. It's the back nine on Sunday of the Masters. Do not check your phone and tell us what's going on in the Masters right now. Okay, don't do that. That would be a, a gross sin for you to say anything. Don't say anything to me. Brian may want to know after, but don't say anything to me at all about what happens. But it's just that back now. I mean, it's just the last part. There's six months left. They're coming to the home stretch. And so, and, and some of the other followers are gathering too. But Jesus right now, he's getting those 12 guys. And he says, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter says, speaking for all of them, he says, you're the Christ. And Matthew says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. And he starts talking to them about that. And then he says, listen, I'm the Christ. Here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to have to die and suffer and die at the hands of, uh, of the religious leaders and the Pilate. And then here's what's going to happen. Three days later, God's going to raise me back to life. But I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter, he kind of pulled Jesus aside and rebuked him and said, no, no, Jesus, don't talk like that. And Jesus looked at Peter in front of all of them and said, you get behind me, Satan. He called, Peter just said, you're the Christ. And now Jesus is saying, you're Satan, Peter. Now, you don't. Listen, whatever Jesus calls you, you don't want Jesus calling you Satan. It's okay if the church lady calls you Satan, but you don't want Jesus to call you Satan at all. You don't want that. And he's saying, you're, you're Satan. So he gathers everyone around him. And he says, and, and, and this is what you need to realize. This becomes then a critical point in Christianity. Because these guys that need to understand what it means for him to be Christ. You're saying that I'm Christ, but do you understand what it means? And do you understand that if I am the Christ, do you understand what is expected of you? And so he says, if anyone wants to come after me. Now the phrase if, it speaks in the Greek, it's like a, uh, what we call a conditional sentence of reality. It means kind of since some of you want to come after me. In other words, you're going you're gonna to be disciples. Back then, they didn't use the term Christian. Christians only use three times scripture, and it's, and it's not used in a good sense. Back then, they called what we call Christians, they called them disciples, believers, followers of the way. If you're going to come after me, he said, then this is what happens. And he describes a movement of their life, or what we call a commitment. Now, he describes it kind of in three parts, three commands. Don't think of this. He says, you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Don't think of this as three steps, because then we'll be earning our salvation. So it's not step one, you deny. Step two, you take up. It's not that. It is one movement with three aspects. If you think about the Trinity, there's one God. It's not three gods, just one God. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is one God, three persons. There's one commitment, but it has three parts. And they're all commands that we have to do. And, it's, and the commands are such that two of them speak of an immediate thing, and the third one speaks of a continual thing. So he says, you deny yourself, take up your cross. Now, think about this for a, way, uh, for a minute. We talk about repentance sometimes. In the Gospel of Mark, first chapter, Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. Repentance means you're going along life this way, and you stop and you pivot to go the other way. Now, we have in our lives rebelled against God to the point that we're trying to live our life our way. I've said this hundreds of times. The basic sin of all of life is to be the God of your own life. Genesis 3, Satan comes and tempts Eve and then Adam. You'll be like God. He says, you're going to be like God. And that's the temptation. We want to be God. We want to be in control of our life. 
Now, when Jesus says deny yourself, what he's saying is this. You're living life for you. You are God of your life, and you come to a point and you stop. To deny is to say no. To deny is to refuse. To deny yourself is to refuse to continue to live your life for you. You stop at that point and say no more. To take up your cross, then, is to pivot and go in another direction. Now, taking up means to carry the cross in the time of Jesus symbolize something different than to us. Some of you are wearing crosses. Your cross symbolizes Christianity, Christian faith. I'm a follower of Jesus. The cross in the day of Christ symbolized death. When Jesus went to the cross, when he went to die on Calvary, he took the cross, he took the cross being actually, and he carried it to his death. So when you carried your cross, you were taking your cross to die. You had dead, you were dead. And Jesus is saying, when you deny yourself at that exact same moment, you die to yourself as well. You are dead to you. Now, it's hard for us as Americans to understand that. Sometimes I hear people say, well, it really means you've got to be willing to die. No, it doesn't mean be willing to die. It doesn't say that. If I said, how many of you are willing to die for Jesus? Everybody raised their hand. You know why? Because you aren't ever going to die for Jesus. Unless you go off in a foreign land somewhere, you're not going to die for Jesus. That doesn't mean that. In fact, that's not what it meant to Polycarp or Ignatius or Clement of Rome. Those guys were dead to self. The reason they could die was not because they were willing to die. The reason they could die for Christ was because they had already died to self. It means you are dead to you. Your life is no longer your own. And then you spend the rest of your life continually following Christ. The followers to come alongside. And you have said, I'm going to come alongside Jesus where he takes me. That's where I'm going. Clement, Ignatius, Polycarp, for whatever reason, Jesus took them to death for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. And that's where they went. And it means, Jesus, I'm just going to go with you wherever you take me. Now, that's what it means to follow Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Then you come to verse 35 through verse 38, those verses. And they're kind of commentary on verse 34. And in verse 37, ask a really important question. In the New Living Translation, ask it this way. And I just think it's, it's so impactful. Is anything worth more than your soul? Is there anything in life worth more than your soul? Now, in, in the scriptures, in your English versions, it, most of the time it says, it, instead of the word soul, it uses the word life. Or maybe use both. And it's the same word used. There's different words for life used sometimes. There's bios, which means physical life. Common word is zoe, which is eternal life, life the way it should be. The word soul, suke, speaks of the real you. It's, it's the personality. It's, it's, the, it's the non-physical DNA. It's who you are. It makes you who you are. And so we talk about a person's soul living forever. It's the real them lives on and on forever. And that's the soul. And, and, and so the, the idea is... It's who you are. When you take the real you, is there anything in all the world worth more than your soul, the you, the you of your life? Jesus said this, if you, if you cling to your life, you cling to your soul, in other words, you keep doing the things you do going this way, eventually you're going to lose all of it. When he comes, the second coming, and you face the judgment, you're going to lose all of that life. You're going to be condemned to a life of separation from God. But if you will, at this point, die to yourself, if you'll lose your life and turn to go the other way, he says, you're going to gain your life for all eternity. When I come, you'll gain your life for all eternity. 
So he says, is there anything worth more than that? How about the whole world? Is the whole world worth your soul? In uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was tempted by Satan. And Satan showed him the whole world, said, bow down to me, I'll give you the whole world. And Jesus cast Satan away. Here's the idea. Theoretically, if you could keep living your life for yourself, and in the process you gain the whole world, is that enough? Would it justify your soul being separated from God forever? Is it worth your soul? The answer is no. There's nothing worth your soul. God has given you a soul, and he wants it back. He wants all of you. And Jesus says there's a cost. You say I am the Christ? There's a cost. I want you to follow me. So here's the thing. Pay the cost. At the end of the day, we need to pay the cost. So as we come to a conclusion on this message, I'm going to share two things with you that I hope will help you. First is this. The cost of following Jesus is to surrender. (laughs) She's got hiccups, right? It's okay. It's not you, though. It's her. Cutest little thing in the world. I, I can't hear a thing. I hear a little Skyline's hiccups. Did I get Skyline right? Okay, called the wrong name the other day, sorry. I'm walking over here, I don't hear the hiccup. Okay, over here, she's hicking up, just bang her, scare her, boo. Sorry, don't scare your baby. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Okay, let me get my act, get it together, David, get it together, we're almost through. Surrender, okay, okay, surrender, all right, surrender, so... Is that what I said? Did I say surrender? Is that what I said? Surrender? Okay. Okay, here we go. I'm sorry, it's just funny. So you surrender is to, is to give yourself in its entirety. So think about this way. Think about a marriage relationship. When two people get married, what do you do? You surrender your life to your spouse. So we do the vows and everything. You know, and we say for rich or poor. Did you ever think about that? Rich or poor? That's kind of that's more, morbid in there. Sickness and health. Better for worse till death you part. So think about it. So it means like this. You know, suppose uh, most homes, the guy makes most of the money, whatever. Well, suppose the guy loses his job. Why is that? Are, are you just going to say, you know what? You're, you brought us into poverty. Now I'm going to go find someone who makes more money. No, you've surrendered. Even if your husband's dead broke, you've surrendered to that. Or guys, if your wife gets sick and she's ill and, and you're wasting away. Are you going to say, you know what, you're sick. This woman over here, she's a lot healthier. I'm going to leave you and go find someone healthier. No, you have surrendered to that. No matter how life gets, I probably ought to say, you know, for better or worse, 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 no matter how worse it gets. It's a commitment. We even say forsaking all others. In other words, you're never going to turn to anyone else. You have surrendered your life to your wife. Relationships are built on faith and surrendering. So, God wants to have a relationship with us. He created us for that, and we have sinned against God. And God sent Jesus to surrender his life to us. And God expects us to surrender our life to Jesus. Some of you today have never done that. You've never taken your life and given it to Jesus. You don't want to deny, what you want to do is live for yourself. You don't want to die for yourself, to die to yourself. What you want to do is keep having pleasure. You'll acknowledge Jesus, but you really don't want to follow Jesus. You don't want to surrender your life. You'll cut off a slice of it. And God says, no, I want all of it. I want you to surrender your whole life to me.
And when you surrender your life, when you give me your soul, I give you eternal life. So we need to understand the reason to pay the cost. It's life. It's life. We pay the cost because God gives us life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came so that you might have life and you might have it to the fullest. In John 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I and I alone am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though they die. Even though physically you'll die, your soul lives. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, we live in this world that says Jesus is just a historical figure. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not just some great religious leader. I am God. Because only God can save. We, we want to say, you know, Jesus, the, the, the morality you expect, the life you expect of me, I'm going to trade that in, and I'm going to make it easier for the culture. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You die to that culture. You die to me. That means you, you die to that culture, you leave it behind. When you're dead, that culture gets left behind. You don't change to fit that culture. We say, Jesus, there's got to be another way. Another way to God. He says, no, 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 no. I am it. Because only I have ever given my life for your soul. Only Jesus ever died for your soul. And what he expects in return is to you to give your soul to him. That's not working. And that's not earning it. That's called trusting Jesus in faith. Mark chapter 8. They said, you are the Christ. Jesus said, correct. And if I'm the Christ, here's what you need to know. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. And you've got to follow me. So here's the thing. The cost to follow Jesus is real simple. What it means to follow Jesus is real simple. It just comes down to this. Your salvation cost Jesus his life. And your salvation cost you your life. You give your life. To Christ. For what we are expected to do is to follow Jesus. And Jesus gave his life for us. So if we follow Jesus, we give our life to him. Nothing more. There's nothing less. And some of you today, in your life, you need to take your life and give it to Jesus. Because you're holding on to your life. And I get that. You're, 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 you're thinking, you know, it's my life. I want to be in charge of me. And I get that. Except you're doing a lousy job of being in charge of your life. Because you just keep sinning and you keep messing up and your life's a mess. And if you keep holding on to that, you're going to lose everything. And you need to give your life to Christ. It means you've got to deny. You've got to deny and say it's no longer about me. I've got to quit following me. So you have to deny. And then you've got, to, you've got to take up your cross. You've got to die and say, I am dead to me. I am dead to me. But I'm going to live for Jesus. And so you get to that point where you stop and turn around and there's Christ. And Christ is just waving you on. And come follow and come follow. And some of you today need to go follow Christ. Why don't you do that? 
Why don't you right now, as I'm speaking to you, why don't you just say, Jesus, here's my life. I'm giving it to you. Here's my soul, Jesus. Here's my soul. I'm giving my soul to you. Because I know you're going to save my soul forever. If you want to do that, you can do it right where you are. In just a moment, there'll be some of us standing here. And you can come and say, you know what? I need to give my soul to Jesus. Could you help me do that? The answer is yes. We'll help you. If you're a follower of Christ, does it look like it? Are you living a life of denial? Are you living a life that says, I'm dead to me? Are you living a life of following? If not, maybe you need to come back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Because I've not been living like a follower of Christ. So today, God, I'm going to do it. Here's what I want. Here's what I hope you will do. What I want you to do. Walk out of this place today following Jesus. Nothing more. Nothing less. Father, we honor you and glorify you because of your unbelievable love for us. That you have sent Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. And all we got to do just give you the us, the soul, the real us. So in the name of Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in our life and touch our life so that we would give our life to you and trust you completely. So those who need to come to Christ today, Father, let them turn and let them follow Jesus. And we'll give you glory and honor in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front to greet you. You come. You come.